Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Average to Elite podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lowe. And today we're looking at eating strategies to maximize mental performance. So when we think of performance in general, the narrative is very much directed towards the physical performance side of things. So if you're a cyclist, how much power did you put through the pedals in a training session or race? If you're a team sport athlete, footballer, rugby player, you know, how far did you run during that game? What was your total high-speed meters? How many dominant collisions did you make? All this kind of good stuff. So these physical outcomes and metrics are so, so, so important because it identifies areas we can work on. But what gets ignored, or perhaps not necessarily ignored, but just doesn't give or just doesn't have the right amount of attention is your mental performance or eating for mental performance anyway. So this is um, going to be incredibly important for any athlete whose reaction time is important, decision-making, clarity, engagement, concentration, memory retention, all this kind of stuff, uh, which is probably every single athlete listening uh, to this podcast right now. Um, so if we're looking at improving overall performance, we cannot forget the mental. The mental and performance go hand in side hand in hand right so you can continually express your skill set stay strong right until the end and maximize your true and highest potential in your sport so today we're going to look at eating strategies to really support and complement the mental side of your game now what i want to do is basically just increase your overall awareness if these aren't things that you have to be doing it's more a case of these are the things that's in our toolbox and a general kind of key core principles that we need to uh, have heightened awareness around. So number one, as you're probably going to be uh, quite familiar with, because I talk about it all the time and it governs pretty much everything, is diet quality. So when we think of nutrition, it's three questions really. You know, what are we eating? How much are we eating? And when are we eating it? So if we can answer those three questions confidently and uh, with a, you know, good amount of uh, thoughtfulness and mindfulness around it, you know, we're going to be doing some very good things, right? So number one is diet quality. This sits right at the bottom of that pyramid as, as the base that governs a lot of things. So when we think of food quality, we can split into perhaps high quality foods and lower quality foods. Not good foods or bad foods, high quality, low quality. High quality being, you know, nutrient dense, minimally processed. Low quality being high fat, high sugar, hyper palatable. So when we think of high quality foods or diets that contain high quality foods, all roads lead to this Mediterranean style of eating, right? The Mediterranean diet. From a mental perspective, uh, the Mediterranean diet is suggested to have a positive effect on cognitive functions and episodic memory and is associated with a low risk of cognitive disorders and neurogenerative diseases. So just like your physical health is incredibly important to support and maximize and optimize your physical performance. Your mental health is incredibly important to maximize and optimizing your mental performance. Again, they go hand in hand. Health is always going to be the first layer um, to have to in a very nice position before we can really start looking at optimizing the top end, the sort of peak performance type stuff. Okay. So, when we think of high quality foods, we really are just thinking of this base and how to improve overall mental and physical health. So 
there is moreover a relationship between the consumption of vegetables and fruits and improvement in cognitive functions, especially memory resulting from the ingredients with antioxidant properties contained in these foods. So again, world-class basics, are you having your fruit and vegetables? So we know that one portion of fruit and veg weighs 80 grams. And we know that, or shall we say, my recommendations are around eight to 10 portions of fruit and veg per day, kind of as a minimum. As athletes, you have increased oxidative stress, inflammation, and therefore we need more antioxidants within our diet to help support that, okay? So eight to 10 portions of fruit and veg a day, paint the rainbow, and uh, essentially with every color of fruit or veg we have, we're gonna get a different array of nutrients. So essentially we need this variety here, okay? Again, world-class basics, you know, eat high quality foods and have a lot of fruit and veg in your diet to improve overall micronutrient status and fiber intake. And then if we flip the coin and look at low quality foods, we're gonna think at the Westernized diet, these kind of high fat, high sugar foods, high saturated uh, fatty acids, high sugar contents. I know this is gonna to contribute to the development of diet dependent diseases, such as type two diabetes, obesity, i.e. the physical, and then the mental dementia and depression. So the westernized diet also impairs cognitive abilities. So if you just wanted to make yourself you know, a little bit smarter, a little bit more switched on, a little bit more engaged, um, you know, we're perhaps gonna reduce not eliminate, but reduce the amount of processed foods we have in our diet, these hyperpalatable foods, and increase the amount of fruit and veg, these high quality foods, okay? So proper nutrition is a key factor influencing physical performance and improving mental health. So I always think of this like 80-20 rule, 90-10 rule, however you wanna look at it. As long as we're paying our nutrient bills through eating high quality foods most of the time, then some of the time we can have the flexibility within our diet as well, okay? Because we know that if the flexibility or the relaxed meals within our diet is combined with a social element uh, and connecting with friends, colleagues, family, then that's gonna improve um, mental health as well, okay? And give you extra sort of bandwidth uh, with regards to your overall kind of lifestyle and life, okay? So right at the bottom of that pyramid, diet quality is fundamental. So really prioritizing high quality foods. Then moving on from this, we're gonna look at the gut-brain axes and the influence of diet in that. So essentially the gut-brain axes consists of a like bi-directional communication between the central nervous system and the gut. So linking emotional and cognitive centers of the brain with intestinal functions. So this kind of gut-brain crosstalk has revealed a complex communication system that only not only ensures the proper maintenance of gas and gastrointestinal homeostasis, but is likely to have multiple effects on motivation and high cognitive function. So the gut is often referred to as like your second brain. So there's they're just always in constant communication. So and we know that higher diet quality is related to higher gut microbiome diversity. So this is your gut bacteria. And those who consume more vegetables and whole grains on a daily basis manifested with highest gut microbiome diversity. So essentially, the more robust and healthy your gut is, is going to have a direct link with your brain and cognition and 
in terms of overall mental health and then vice versa. Knowing that again, that having more vegetables, more whole grains, more higher quality foods in your diet is not only going to be beneficial for the gut. And again, once we fix one area of the diet, you also fix the other. So if we say, for example, improve gut health, yes, it's going to improve mental performance, but it's also going to improve immune function, stuff like that. So they always go hand in hand. If you fix one area, you typically fix the next. So this gut brain axis is a really interesting kind of area is absolutely huge. Um, and we know that just eating to support that through yes, whole grains, vegetables, perhaps probiotic and prebiotic foods to really make sure the gut microbiome is nice and diverse. Then, um, you know, it just puts you in the best possible position um, with regards to operating at a higher mental level when it comes to the performance and peak performance elements. So always think of like, right, let's build the foundation first. Let's make this as solid and as robust as possible. And then we can add on the extra layers from that. So the main take home from this section is really focusing on food quality because we know your how your micronutrient and antioxidant status impacts the brain, okay? Now, moving on from food quality, uh, probably my second favorite topic, how would you probably guess, uh, starts with C, carbohydrates, right? So we're going to be thinking of how can we now fuel the brain? So the brain depends on glucose as its main source of energy. In the adult brain, neurons have the highest energy demand requiring continuous delivery of glucose from the blood. In humans, the brain accounts for about 2% of body weight, which by means isn't much, but it consumes 20% of glucose-derived energy, making it the main consumer of glucose uh, in the body. So we know that we store glucose in the form of glycogen stores. We store it in the liver, we can store it in the muscle. Obviously, we have glucose in the blood, in the blood, sorry. And we also store glucose via glycogen in the brain in astrocytes. So essentially, we know that carbohydrate availability is going to be really, really important for the muscle, but it's also going to be really important for the brain as well. So essentially, uh, in terms of amounts here, um, the brain will use 5.6 milligrams of glucose per 100 gram of human brain tissue per minute. Now, that makes probably absolutely no sense if you're trying to do the maths in your head. But if you weigh 80 kilos, uh, that ends up being about 130 grams of glucose per day. So that's how much the, the brain will need to maintain normal kind of functioning, right? So essentially, if we are competing, uh, training really hard, and we have a dip in carbohydrate availability, and then there's less glucose available for the brain, uh, this is where mental performance can decline. And this could express itself in terms of skill acquisition. So in terms of team sports, passing accuracy, passing speed. If you're a combat sport athlete, you know, how clean was the punch and all that kind of stuff. So we need to, yes, think about fueling the muscle from the physical perspective, but we also need to be thinking about fueling the brain as well. And so what's quite interesting with this is that, and I notice this quite a lot with endurance-based athletes, and myself, if I get it wrong at times, is if I haven't quite fueled the session properly, then the rest of the day, my energy levels are really, really poor. So we're not only thinking about fueling the session itself, but also think about fueling the rest of the day. So not just like in terms of daily movements, but in terms of the cognition side of things. So many of the athletes I work with, if they're full-time, most of them will have like the side projects where that's a university degree 
some of them are like more uh, going down the entrepreneurial kind of route, building kind of businesses. Some of them just like playing golf. So, you know, for them, are they fueling not only the sport, but their day-to-day life as well? And then a lot of the sort of part-time athletes I work with, so the semi-pros still operate at an incredibly high level, pretty much training full-time, but also work full-time as well. They need to be able to fuel their day-to-day life outside of that as well. So, you know, if they put themselves into a massive hole in their training session, but not eating properly, not feeling properly, the rest of the day kind of goes to shit, right? So the whole idea is, yes, fueling the muscle to support physical performance and performance outside, but if we're fueling or eating correctly to fuel the brain as well, then cognition and, you know, just overall kind of mental clarity, engagement and cognition is going to be far better outside of your sport as well. And lastly here, we know that brain activation enhances ATP turnover, which is being generated initially from phosphocreatine breakdown, i.e. Uh, just shows the role of creatine as well in this process. And from glycolysis, uh, i.e. glycogen store breakdown into glucose in a fashion analogous to the events that take place in skeletal muscle early during exercise. So what this is saying is that, yes, at complete rest, an 80 kilo person may need 130 grams of glucose per day, but the more the brain is activated, just like the muscle, the more glucose it needs. Now, it's going to be very difficult to uh, know how much more it's going to need and what kind of prescription or intervention is needed for that. Uh, But I like to think that if you are fueling the muscle properly with regards to having enough carbohydrates in the diet, as a byproduct, you're going to be fueling the brain as well. I know like the intermediary intermediary role of lactate in this as well in terms of fueling the brain. So uh, what we're kind of just trying to draw some form of conclusion here is that, you know, the fuel, the brain needs carbohydrates for fuel um, and that limiting carbohydrates or not having enough carbohydrates in your diet is going to be detrimental to that. So essentially going back to the, to the world-class hashtag, no carbohydrate deficiencies here. So just make sure we're now fueling performance, we're fueling the physical element of it. If we're doing that properly, we're most likely fueling the mental component of it as well. Then moving into the more of a non-nutritional aspect of this, but obviously still absolutely huge and nutrition can play a huge role in this, is your sleep. Like you can have the best diet in the world in terms of quality. You can eat all the carbohydrates, but if you're having, you know, four or five hours sleep a night, you're not going to be uh, operating in an optimal state. We know the huge importance of sleep in terms of, you know, just restoration, both physically and mentally. So recovering you from the previous day and preparing you for the next. Um, So with regards to this, I'm not going to go into too much because I have a whole podcast episode on this, I believe it's in season one, uh, called the supercharged sleep habits. So go and listen to that and implement those strategies. If you're struggling with, uh, sleep, uh, because I cover yes, the sleep hygiene, the, the principles surrounding this, but also some nutrition interventions you can look at in terms of improving sleep onset latency. So time taken to fall asleep, overall sleep quality. So sleep efficiency and total sleep time. Um, so go and uh, have a look at that because that'll be absolutely huge in terms of improving this because, you know, we, like I've said, we can have the, we could be doing all the best things in the world in terms of our mental preparation, our eating, but if we're sleeping poorly, if we're sleep deprived, you know, we're not going to be 
performing at our best. We're not going to be reaching our highest potential. I know for myself, if I have four, five, six hours uh, sleep a night, uh, I am pretty much useless to the world. So I know that my diet's pretty good, <laughs> you know? So that's just, I really prioritize and highlight the importance of sleep. I don't have this kind of, um, kind of like I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead kind of mentality and just grind, hustle and grind through five hours. That is absolute bullshit. Do not do that. You know, if you want to get more done, if you want to be more productive, uh, if you want to have a higher standard of work, uh, get more sleep. It is that important. So I've touched on the um, role of, you know, making sure we're fueling for the work required. We're getting enough carbohydrates on board and stuff like that to support the physical performance and maybe have a, a nice um, improvement in mental performance as well. But when we think of fatigue in general, the brain is in constant connection with the peripheral signals. Now, when we think of peripheral signals, we're thinking about the muscle, right? Um, so essentially, when we're training really hard, when we're competing hard, we have extreme homeostatic disturbances. So if you think of when you're at complete rest, this is your baseline. The harder you train, the, the further away you move from that baseline, right? So you become glycogen depleted. So substrate availability um, decreases. You get an accumulation of metabolites. You have calcium disruption, which affects muscle contractibility and force production. We have neuromuscular function and impairments. That's one of the reasons why we potentially cramp. We have an increase in core temperature. You become dehydrated. So essentially, if you are overly fatigued on the peripheral muscle levels, this can have a profound effect on the brain itself. And so just a little bit of an anecdote. Like when I first started mountain biking or getting back into it a little bit more seriously, um, I would be riding with guys far better than me in terms of fitness level, skill levels, literally every everything, every single uh, ability uh, level you can think of. So they would always like get up the hills, get up the climbs, ascend much, much faster than me at a much lower intensity. But I would be there kind of a few minutes behind at thresholds, hanging out my ass, trying to keep up with them. And then they'd have to wait again, a couple of minutes at the top. And then what will happen then is, we're going to the descent straight away. Uh, so they cruised up, they've had a nice rest at the top, they're mentally refreshed because their muscle hasn't been overly taxed and then they can ride down the, the descent on the downhill trails uh, with nice kind of possess and like nice and smooth and stuff like that. Where I get to the top, hanging out my ass, my head is completely gone and I then get into the descent, um, make loads of mistakes because I'm so tired I tense up, make more mistakes, and it's that continuous kind of cycle, right? But now as I've become fitter and I can get up the climbs much easier, I have less homeostatic disturbances in the muscle. And therefore, when I get up to the top, I'm not hanging out my ass. I have better mental clarity and I can get down the trail um, you know, with a far more smoothness. Um, I have perhaps a little bit more dignity as well getting to the bottom because uh, I'm not hammering myself into trees every uh, single corner. So Essentially, if we can get the muscle more adapted and we can fuel it better, then that is going to have a profound effect in terms of the signals sent to the brain. And therefore, you know, the fatigue in the muscle is going to have a relationship with the fatigue in the brain. And as I mentioned there, you know, moving further south from that baseline uh, in terms of that extreme homeostatic disturbances with regards to dehydration, we know that 
being dehydrated by just 2% impairs performance in tasks that require attention, psychomotor and immediate memory skills, as well as assessment of the subjective state, right? So we know that, um, again, the further south of baseline you go is going to be detrimental. Where, you know, if you're going to drop down to about maybe 4% loss in body mass, this is where you're going to experience like severe performance decrements in terms of like mental confusion and coordination, sometimes delirium if it pushes uh, above kind of four or 5%. And as we know, in some extreme cases, uh, you have like circulatory insufficiency, renal failure, and, you know, death. So ultimately, going too far below that baseline is going to be pretty horrible. Um, so essentially, when we think of performance and nutrition, is essentially how can we get up to uh, that baseline as quickly as possible. How can we stay up there? Because the further south that baseline we go, that's where performance drops off. So nutrition interventions in terms of hydration, fueling, perhaps like intracellular and extracellular buffers can be used to kind of keep yourself up towards that baseline as, as best as possible, right? Um, so hydration, again, after key, going into the summer months, you know, we know that sweat rates are going to be much, much higher. So again, just have a heightened kind of awareness of right, I need to make sure that I'm hydrating accordingly to make sure I'm mentally switched on. And for myself on the mountain bike, if I'm dehydrated and I'm making um, decision errors, I'm going to be hitting more trees than I should be on the way down. So for me, it is absolutely key to be uh, hydrated. And then in terms of the uh, supplementation side of things, because you see there's loads of supplements now showing that uh, this improves focus, clarity, concentration, reaction time, attention, all this kind of stuff. Most of them are, to be honest, complete bullshit, uh, but some of them, there's definitely some utility in there for sure. So I'm just going to rattle through uh, quite a few now. So number one is caffeine. Um, doses of one to four milligrams per kilogram body weight improve alertness, concentration, and reaction time. Um, but there is a less consistent impact on memory and executive functions, such as assessing the situation and making decisions. So caffeine, as we know, and all love coffee, is going to be one of them. Then when you add theanine to caffeine, doses of 250 milligrams of theanine and 150 milligrams of caffeine have apparent advantageous effects on continued alertness, memory, and improved attention, uh, where L-theanine helps relax by curbing arousal stimulated by caffeine. So um, that could be quite a, quite a nice kind of stack to put together. Next one is beetroot. Um, we all know how much uh, I love beetroot here, uh, and those little nitrate shots, the beetroot shots, they taste very earthy and pretty terrible, but so we know that beetroot may attenuate the decline in cognitive function, and specifically reaction time, that may occur during prolonged intermittent exercise. Dietary nitrates may modulate the cerebral blood flow response to task performance and potentially improve cognitive performances. So not only does it improve blood flow to the working muscle, but improves blood flow to the brain as well. So that is pretty cool. I uh, know that creating doses of 100 milligrams per kilogram, 90 minutes pre-stressful situations in which there may be temporary decrease in creating levels may offset the negative cognitive effects of sleep de deprivation. So this is a nice strategy I use with quite a lot of athletes if they're traveling or just for competition. We know that they're probably going to be a little bit stressed uh, and perhaps a little bit anxious and perhaps not have the best night's sleep. So what we look to do then is put 100 milligrams per kilo, so 
on average by maybe like 10 grams of creatine 90 minutes before anything that's cognitively demanding because it seems to uh, be beneficial in reversing the adverse effects of sleep deprivation. So I talked about um, probiotics and prebiotics um, when we're looking at the gut-brain axes, but we know that they can modulate um, and improve cognitive performances in acute stress circumstances. The results demonstrated that there is a close relationship between the effects of probiotic interventions on behavioral and neuroimaging readouts. So supplementation with prebiotics with polydextrose resulted in a modest improvement in cognitive performances. Uh, the results indicate that polydextrose could benefit gut-brain communication and modulate behavioral responses. And then polyphenols as the last one, acute polyphenol supplementation and consumption might improve speed in rapid visual information processing, uh, a high order task with elements of vigilance, worker memory and executive function in uh, younger individuals. So that's quite a, a nice little list they're going from. So like your caffeine, your theanine, your tyrosine, your beetroot, your creatine, uh, pre and probiotics and polyphenols. And just to uh, finish off, I just want to leave you with one strategy, which is uh, just kind of a nice way to kind of round everything off. So we know that fuel in the brain is really important and carbohydrates play a role in this. But when we think of carbohydrate mouth, for instance, so basically in a 6% isotonic drink, so 30 grams of carbs per 500 ml, to swill that in your mouth for 10 seconds and spit out um, can have interactions with the brain and the nervous system. So in this one study, what they did was a, um, a Stroop test pre and post. And then over the course of 90 minutes, they exercised on the bike for, yeah, 75% for your two max. So a Stroop test is... Um, I'm trying to explain this. Have you seen those um, kind of boards you have up and it's like blue, yellow, red, purple, black, blue, yellow, red. They basically have the color written out, but it's in a different color. So the blue may be um, actually the color of red and the red might actually be the color of blue and stuff like that. And you have to try and pick out and say the words right Um uh, so basically they, they did that. I've tried them before and I'm actually terrible at them, but essentially they did that pre-test and post-test. And we know that doing like sustained moderate high intensity, um, sort of like executive function will decline. Uh, so executive function is essentially a set of mental skills that include working memory, flexible thinking, and uh, self-control. So this Stroop test really kind of stresses that. So essentially when they did it pre, they did a post, the post kind of uh, results were much worse than the pre because they were fatigued. But when they uh, mouth rinse with carbohydrates intermittently throughout this test, um, it essentially uh, negated and attenuated the decline in executive function, which is really, really cool. And it, interestingly, it was actually unrelated to this kind of carbohydrate metabolic pathway, but is mainly or rather attributed to impart the inhibition of excessive release of stress hormones. So this as well just goes to show that one, moderate high intensity exercise decreases executive function, and then a nutrition intervention, i.e. carbohydrate mouth rinsing, can again support that. So what you could potentially do here is, yes, you can swill and then spit, that is cool. Or if, it, if you do need carbohydrates to be consumed to support the muscle as well, then you can swill and then swallow. 
or consume. So uh, again, this is just a quite quite nice one in terms of just improving reaction time, executive function, and all that all that kind of stuff. So hopefully, this gives you uh, again just a greater awareness of how how you eat, what you eat, when you eat, and so on can impact mental performance. And that when we're looking at in terms of improving overall performance, we can't just think of the physical. We have to think of the mental as well, because once you've got two of them in nice balance and they're going to work hand in hand, we can express our skill set and we can reach our highest potential in sport. So hope that helps, guys. Any questions, any queries, please reach out. Uh, Instagram DMs is the best place to find me. And as always, if you found this episode useful, helpful, it would mean absolute world to me if you could like it comment on it and share it because more people, more athletes can see this uh, the better because that's the whole point of doing this to help as many athletes as I can. So just a little share, a little bit of an engagement. It helps an absolute world. Okay. So thank you very much for your time and for tuning in. And until next time, guys, goodbye.